Rise and shine, everybody, for another session of the Umbrella Academy. I'm one of the professors that teach the Umbrella Academy. Sort of a ghost, I guess, is kind of the voice that I'm doing. I'm Alex. Grab your primers, students, because the Umbrella Academy is in session. I'm the actual professor, and this ghost haunts the classroom. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And this is another episode of Umbrella Academy, our catch-up podcast for the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. We're going to be talking about the second episode of season one. Run, boy. Run. Get out of here. You got to go. Pete, run. Run, Pete. Very long title. (laughs) I don't know why they called it that. That seemed very specific to our podcast, to be honest. So uh, we are going to talk about the episode. We're going to spoil the episode. If you haven't watched it, obviously, go watch it first. Check it out. Uh, We'll give you a brief overview of everything that happened, and we'll talk about some of the biggest moments and break it down. Um, So uh, let's... Actually, I, I want to ask one question before we do jump into it, because as we established the last episode, Pete and I watched the full season. Justin, you had just watched the first episode yes. before we started taping this podcast. How did this episode strike you? I like this episode a lot. I think this episode, yeah. um, it just because it focuses so much on Five's story and we get to see the, him sort of being the anchor and bookending everything. Um, this worked, uh, I mean, I liked the first episode, um, but it felt a little, uh, sort of wonky on like what we're supposed to be paying attention to. And this episode felt so much more cohesive and I knew what I was supposed to be paying attention to. Um, and this show really like, uh, trusts the audience to find their own emotional stakes in what's happening. And I like that. I, I feel like it might be easy for people to get lost in it, but it really lets you be like, oh, I think I know why this is happening, and I guess we'll find out. Plus, we get uh, Mary J. Blige in this episode. So, I mean, come on. I mean, what more do you want from a television show? A little cha-cha. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. I had kind of, for whatever reason, forgotten she was on the show. And as soon as she yeah. showed up in this episode, I was like, oh, this is, this is Pete's big thing. He's going to be yeah. into this. Uh, so overview of the episode, uh, this is picking up after the last episode where five showed up, revealed that there are eight days left until the end of the world. Uh, we find out a little bit of how he ended up in the future, why he was there for 45 years. Don't find out necessarily what he's been up to. Um, but we do get to see in the future, the other members of the umbrella Academy, all dead in the wreckage. Uh, he is wandering through it. He starts to track down some clues, specifically a eyeball, Uh, that he found. And in order to do that, he recruits Klaus, who just wants some drug money. Uh, They track down the eyeball. They have a bunch of fun things that happen there. Ultimately ends up being a dead end. And at the same time, as we mentioned before, Hazel and Cha-Cha to hitman assassins. We don't know exactly what's going on with them. Uh, clearly no five in his older form and end up tracking him down after the massacre of the donut shop last episode. Meanwhile, a bunch of other stuff going on with the other members of the Umbrella Academy. Uh, We see Vanya teaching a violin lesson. Uh, She is still struggling with the rest of the members of her family who don't really like her after she published a tell-all book about them. In particular, Allison is really digging into her a lot this episode. But on the... Yeah, go ahead. 
it's because she kind of had such a emotional phone call and then Vanya was there. She kind of like sometimes what you do with siblings is you kind of turn on them, you know, and you kind of you take out your anger on them. Um, so it was like one of those things where she was kind of really frustrated with the fact that she couldn't talk to her, her daughter and this, uh, you know, boyfriend Patrick or whatever he is was being a real dick to her so then she kind of just lashes out on Ellen Page well the big thing that we find out this episode with all of the characters the last little fulcrum of a plot line here is we find out more about Luther's relationship with Allison he's clearly no pun intended booting over her Uh, and at the same time he's he's also trying to track down what's going on with Diego and the main thing that this episode drives into is these kids all had each other they were all they had growing up now their lives are completely wrecked and they're all alone and they're isolated even from each other. Like they can't connect in the way that they used to connect to the point that Diego's sleeping in the back of a gym. Luther's kind of just wandering around. Klaus Klaus is the only one who seems to be having an okay time, but really all he wants is drugs. Yeah. Uh, and he's That's funny also, that you call that an okay time. I mean, well, he seems to be having an okay time. And I think part of that, frankly, is the fact that like, He's the only one that's had another member of the Umbrella Academy the entire time who is, granted, it's Ben, who is dead, but yeah, he's yeah. been with his ghost in these intervening years, so he's never had the opportunity to grow estranged from his fellow family members. And it's weird that he would never bring that up to the other brothers and sisters since, you know, they would know who Ben is. Well, maybe, I honestly don't remember how this plays out, but maybe he... Uh, thinks it's a drug hallucination. Maybe he doesn't oh. think the bed is really there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I what I love, what I really like about the way they sort of all the characters are so isolated. It feels like it's sort of saying like, isn't wasn't it fun? This premise that this professor pulled all these uh, these kids together and made this super team. But the problem with that is they didn't have a parent or any parents uh, because he was distant and he just wanted them for his own purposes. So they are stunted, all of them. And we just Mm -hmm. see that it's grown, they've grown up, but they haven't moved past the, the development that they were at when they were on the super team. So you never get, they don't have their lives figured out. And that's what is causing all of these problems with them. The thing that's interesting about that, though, from a structural perspective, and I do agree with you, they wanted Reginald Hargreaves love, you know, and he maybe hated them. So, you know, he certainly isolated them, but he really was very mean to them, particularly if you want to go across the board. But they also did have other detacto parents. They had mom, who's a robot uh, or something. We don't find out a lot more about that this episode. But their real father figure, which is very clear, is Pogo the monkey butler, uh, I mean, if you've got a monkey butler, why do you need a dad and a mom? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, but he's not super affectionate with anybody. He's like, uh, he's just British, but he can still be affectionate. But he seems like the most loving out of everyone. I mean, but he's nice, but he's also like, Allison, you should watch these security tapes I've been uh, secretly taping all of you and your family your whole life. Anyway, well, she back, likes to, it. back to my monkey stuff. Like, he just yeah. vanishes. He doesn't like talk to her about it or reassure her. I mean, I, I will say, and I know I, I got a little shit last episode talking shit about the show, but that scene in particular, I like Pogo in it, I like Allison, but in that scene, it's like, 
Well, perhaps you'd find some solace in this evidence that will continue the plot. Goodbye. And she's yeah, like, yeah. oh, let me look at this one tape that's sitting over here. Evidence. And then goes finds Luther. And it feels very... But that's uh, a butler's job. I mean, Alfred's been doing that for years with Batman. Yeah, that's you know? true. Batman's never been able to solve anything. Yeah. It's always uh, Alfred. It's like yeah, a classic be, Inspector Gadget Penny thing going on. Yeah, they call oh, yeah. it. He's known, Batman is known as the world's worst detective, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, this... We've talked about the sort of Wes Anderson-iness of this show, but it also has sort of Agatha Christie novel style like plot moves where it is a little like or murder she wrote even a little like now's the time for you to find the tape. Good luck. So Allison is the Jessica Fletcher in the situation? I think they're deep down. They're all Jessica Fletchers. I think everyone is a Jessica Fletcher at their core, and they're just waiting for the murder for that they will witness. I feel like uh, the, the murder that is Columbo wrote. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Sorry, Pete. Go ahead. I interrupted for my excellent joke. <laughs> well, I just made an equally horrible joke where I said uh, Pogo was Columbo. We're all uh, one murder away from being great writers. Yes. Uh, uh, just one more thing, Pete. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, I would like to kind of get back to something you said. You didn't, I don't know if you're joking or not, but you say you didn't know why they said run, boy, run. But it was after the meal, uh, he kind of runs away because he wants to talk. And the dad who is like, there's no talking while you're eating, which you can understand a little bit, but he's pretty cold. I mean, they have to stand and wait for him to say sit. I mean, that's kind of messed up. Um, But. Uh, yeah, it kind of immediately is him running and they're literally playing the song Run, Boy, Run. So that's where they got the title of the uh, show. And he's running through time, actually. So. I love that sequence. I think the effects so there are really nice. The way that he's almost pushing through the membrane of time a little bit to get to the next period before he ends up in the apocalypse. Really well done. And all the five stuff across the board... He's one of my favorite characters of the show. I think I don't remember the name of the actor, but I think he does a great job of chatteling an old dude in a young body. What, Pete? What? Uh, you're, you said last episode that Klaus was your favorite of all of them. I said one of my favorite actors of the show, oh, not my favorite. My Klaus is still my favorite. Okay. I love Klaus. Don't, Klaus Kla- is great. I would like, love to see the Klaus show all like day. Like a good day. father, Alex, you're, you're always choosing between your uh, favorite children. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and lying to them all. I'm the Hargreaves of this podcast. Oh, wow. Um, I Yeah, I agree with you about five. He has a big Jason Schwartzman Rushmore vibes, mm-hmm. uh, which I think tracks perfectly with both a kid and someone who feels like an old man trapped in a tiny body, oh, uh, yeah. which is very much what Rushmore uh, feels like it's about. Um, but yeah, I thought all these sequences are were so good, um, and the power set is it's so well done at the top of the show, and then you get to see that continue even every time he uses his power in the big fight sequence against uh, Cha-Cha and oh. uh, Hazel. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Cha-Cha and Hazel. Is great. Uh, really well done. It's and, also interesting in the span of most of them not using their powers or really doing anything whatsoever. Like, we get to see... Diego use whatever his knife throwing powers are a little bit when yeah. he sees Luther. Uh, certainly, he's kind of like bullseye. 
He's kind of like Bullseye. I think, like, for the comics, he's kind of like Batman. I don't think he has those knife-throwing powers, if I remember correctly, in there. Um, But, yeah, I guess maybe like Bullseye. So we see that a little bit. We certainly don't see Allison use her rumor powers. We don't know what Luther could do necessarily at all. Um, So it's really just five who is carrying the bulk of the superheroics in the episode. Um, And they're, at the very least, in terms of the action sequences, using that to full advantage. I mean, uh, Klaus is using his powers all the time, talking to his dead brother, so. Sure, that's true. I think mainly his his plot, though, is like being crazy and doing drugs. Yes, sure, so far. He still is using his powers by talking to his dead brother. He could also say right. he's using his powers to do drugs. Yeah. His power of drugs. Yeah. The old drug power. Um, I also, I just think there's like, What's interesting is they do plant these little seeds. Like there's this uh, fun bit in the police station where they're like, hey, we didn't find any evidence. But fun fact, this was a cold case from 1938, you know, and then, oh, well, have it re, you know, redone, you know, and it's kind of like walked away from that for a little bit. And, you know, that's going to come back around. But the uh, one of the fun parts about this show is the music. And I think that like that scene at the end where they're in the department store and they, you know, murder that department store. But it's such a fun use of like music with action and all this kind of great stuff. And it's a great way to kind of like heighten at the end. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is exciting. Uh, it must be close to the end because we're getting this kind of fun uh, uh, escalation. And Pete, you're a lawyer, right? So legally speaking, is what they did in that department store, is that considered murder? Yes, yes. Um, you know, you cannot. It's one of those things where murder in a department store is different from murder in real life. Um, and if you uh, kill a department store, it means it can't be you can't walk in and use it again like you would have to. You know. My favorite episode of Murder, She Wrote is when she investigated that Kmart the tragic death of a Kmart. And it was, uh, Blue Light Special was the name of the episode. Yeah, that's right. And it was yeah. murdered by a Sears, which is a fun, another department store, ironically. Uh, she well, was like, I was going to watch that after this. Uh, you just spoiled so, You didn't mystery. see it coming because Sears was right next door the whole time, and Sears was so nice to you. Yeah, exactly. That's And in the small town of uh, Cabot Grove or whatever it is in, uh, <laughs> in Murder, She Wrote. A lot of murders there. That's yes. a new observation, right? Nobody's made that observation before. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's a fun. You should put that on uh, like a website where you get to post like a 280 character take. If there's one of those out <laughs> there, well, we'll see. Maybe I'll build something. Um, uh, we also get fun. to see uh, for the first time the creepy uh, character that is Leonard. Mm. Uh, Leonard, the uh, guy that Vanya gives a violin lesson to, and maybe yeah, it's going to have a little budding relationship with. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Anytime someone's like, you know, uh, goat shows up for lessons and is not a child who, you know, I mean, that's red flags all over the you place. You can learn music why. at any age, Pete. Also, sure, you take but, classes, right? But you you wouldn't specifically go to somebody who only teaches kids and say, you know, you would have a discussion first unless you're a fucking creep, which he is. You teach classes to people of all ages all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's not all ages. Well, in improv, which is what Pete teaches, um, your body and mind are the instrument. That's right. Mm. You usually call your students the human violins, right? 
<laughs> yes. Tune up yeah. violins. It's time for some improv. <laughs> time for Pete to teach you. Uh, what were we even talking about? Let's talk about Hazel and Cha-Cha a little bit because they're doing this episode other than being Mary J. Blige, which is pretty cool. Justin, what was your takeaway here? How'd you think about these? How'd you feel about these new characters? Uh, fun, very, um, sort of Quentin Tarantino style introduction to them. Um, again, playing on a lot of, uh, different film styles here. Um, don't know much about them and why they hate or are trying to kill five, um, why well, I want to know more. Uh, I also, I, I just liked the way they were kind of like shot and how there, there was kind of just snippets of their dialogue. Like it was just like weird kind of moments where they were like, had an issue with the clerk when they were getting a hotel room where it was like one room instead of two. So it's like this thing of like, th- this isn't going as well as it should be. It's, they aren't like top tier at their jobs. Maybe they're not as good or whatever, but like the way they're shot, the way they're shown, it really is kind of like tease them up uh, as an escalation for that big scene at the end. And I don't know what it is about these characters, but you really like them from the get. Well, they're funny. I think um, yeah. that's the, cause I do think most of what they do is I've seen before when it comes to like uh, assassins or, or hit people um, where they're like a little bit too cool for school. They're like weapons are in different funny suitcases. They uh, have funny masks that they wear, but I think yeah. they're, sort of weirdness the way that uh cha-cha um is talking to uh the dude they have hooked up to the car battery uh charger yeah. i think is different and funny and the way uh hazel is finds his arm brace in the department store and is like yes i thought that was funny <laughs> like that's the difference maker here so i want to know more about them so we can just lean into the interesting stuff yeah uh i had a question about the first scene in the motel Hazel ends up using the vibrating bed. Yes. That's always seemed very weird to me, just as a feature in beds and motels. Have either of you ever used that? Yeah. I knew you had, Pete. Yeah, exactly. This is, he's a vibrating bed guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you stay at a hotel or motel that has a vibrating bed, you're going to use it. Now, let me ask you, Pete, is that, a, is that a sex thing? Were you in a sex motel? Is that where they have no, those? No, I was a kid. So, but why, but were you a kid staying in a sex motel? <laughs> no, we were, we were driving across the country for one of our vacations and we stopped at a hotel and the only room they Whoa, had was weird like, flex. One of our vacations. Wow. Oh, here yeah. comes wow, the flex. Multiple vacations. LePage. He loves just to turn the page. My dad used to love to uh, pack us all up in the station wagon and pick different places and we would drive to it. That's fun. Very um, that classic fun. Americana. And you would go yeah. like motel to motel to find all the most vibrating beds. Well, we would <laughs> stop at hotels and motels along the way. And he would drive until we drove him insane. And then he would yell at us and then pull over at the closest place. So you, hotels you inside mo- a Simpsons episode, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And hotels and motels, uh, holiday inns? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not right. going to discriminate. Yeah. But I do. I have another follow up question about the vibrating bed. Why mm-hmm. is that? Like, what's the deal? It's kind of like, you know, uh, a massage thing where it shakes you and you're kind of like laying on it. So it loosens your body parts up and stuff like that. So it's kind of a de-stressing 
uh, thing, but it gets old after a little while. That's why the one I went to had like you put quarters in like it was a ride or something. And how long does the vibration last? Eight, eight to like ten hours? 15 minutes <laughs> per quarter or something? Uh, yeah, the... The reason I've never really understood it is I always feel like you get to the hotel room and I'm like, ah, all I want to do is lie down on the bed and just sleep or relax or like not move for a little while because I've been in the car so long. So the idea of like, I'm going to lie down and then have somebody shake me violently as hard as possible seems so unpleasant. Well, it's like a vibrating bed is like simulating what it's like to be in a car. It's like, I just got out of a car, dude. Why is my bed like a car? (laughs) Did you, when you went to the sex motel, Pete, were the beds race cars as well? No. Oh, no. Well, there you go. Because it would make more sense as a sex thing, I think. Yeah, I think so. Are you sure it wasn't a sex thing, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying you were a child having sex in a sex motel. I'm saying you were a child just happened to stay in a sex motel. I don't know. I don't think it was the sex motel. Well, but, let's but welcome, I, I was a let, kid. Let's welcome your dad into the feed. We have a lot of questions <laughs> for him. Here we go. Hello, I'm Mr. LePage. Uh, my first hey, name Mr. Is LePage. If we Mr. ever had my dad on the show, it would be ridiculous. Oh, man. You think I'm crazy? Wait till you talk <laughs> to my father. I double love the Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> I want. And, I like a vibrating toilet. Everything should vibrate I say (laughs) Never stop shaking I've Uh, invented the vibrating house Just try and stand still in here (laughs) I do want to ask you about Diego's storyline as well Because we meet a lot of new characters there We touched on them briefly But there's a detective character Who I'm completely blanking on the name of But she is investigating crime Detective I think it's Speck Speck? Mm-hmm. Huh. And I have it written down. Oh, no, Patch. Patch. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. That I would have believed you at spec as well. Anyway, Detective Patch, uh, she is investigating crime. She clearly knows Diego, doesn't like him very much, has kind of like this romantic Commissioner Gordon Batman vibe going on. How'd you feel about this one? Well, I love that. And I love that you're uh, insinuating that um, Batman and Commissioner Gordon uh, hooked up for a while. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he turns on the light and then he turns off the bad light. That's right. Uh, we'll leave the light on for you. This is Motel Sex. <laughs> it seems like they used to date with the way they're talking to each other. Definitely. Um, I like the Diego storyline here. Um, I think it, the only thing is, like, the way the character or the actor, however it's being portrayed, I don't quite know what's what his deal is. Because um, I know he's flirting with a detective and he seems like a brash uh, guy, but he also just looks so like clean, Bruce Wayne almost. Like, mm-hmm. I want him to be a little bit more something. He feels very it's, middle of the road. Also, it's, 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 he goes back and forth between trying to be very dark and then being very light and fun and being like, oh, lighten up. I have some, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, when he almost uh, throws the knife through. Uh, his brother Luther there, you know, and Luther's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I'll lighten up. If I wanted to kill you, I would have killed you. He's a character that I wish they would do a little bit more with because he's such a badass in the comic books in particular. And at least in this episode and the previous episode, it feels like 
the whole idea is what if superheroes, but they were just kind of bummed out the entire time. So we don't get to see him do anything other than that brief knife throw that we've touched on a bunch of times. So it's a great knife throw. It's a great knife throw. And I like the actor, but I think to your point, Justin, it would be more successful if we had that touchstone of he's like Batman and then he comes out and gets tased, you know, just like he does in the episode versus him walking out of a door and then getting tased. We need to see like 15 to 20% more Batman than we are right now. Yeah, I think that's right. He feels a little bit like Hiram Lodge from Riverdale. Just Mm -hmm. like he's like, ha ha, here I am. And it's like, what what do you mean? What are you doing? (laughs) Uh, what about Vanya? We touched on her a little bit with Leonard, of course, but she spends a lot of time in the episode kind of wandering around, interacting with her family members and them yelling at her. Um, yeah. how'd you feel about her plot line? It's, it's heartbreaking because it's like the more we find out about her, the more she was like, dad separated her and the kids didn't know that, you know, like, um, it seemed like to them that she was the one wanting to be separate, but that's not the case. So it's kind of heartbreaking because it's like a lot of problems in this family could have been solved if they actually spent some time together and were able to talk. But it sounds like their dad would never let them talk or never let them be together. And so I don't know what, but uh, it's uh, it's a little heartbreaking. Yeah, in a show where every uh, all of the main characters are a little bit damaged and they keep pointing everyone is mean to Vanya and they keep pointing to her as like, well, she had it worst. Um it feels like we just we get so much just tragic negativity stuff about her and uh, I, we're going to obviously see that go somewhere eventually. And that's why the scene with her and the the violin student felt so weird. It was like she it felt like this was like a, a potential romantic situation, but she doesn't ever react like throughout the whole series season so far. Like she doesn't act or react to anything. She people are being nice to her or being mean to her. She's just sort of like, uh-huh. So I think buckle up, dude, yeah. you're not going to get more. Well, <laughs> hold, yeah. hold on. Don't spoil it. Don't be a jerk. Uh, but I, I do think uh, I tried to write this down here and I don't think I wrote to the exact scene, but it's definitely like, her actions in the scene with Leonard at the end directly play off her discussion with Allison earlier, yeah. where Allison is like, you've never connected with anybody. You've never had a boyfriend. You don't know what it's like. So it does, to your point, Justin, feel like there should have been that moment where he's like, hey, you want to come by my shop? And she's like, yes. So that yeah. we get a resolution of that arc. But instead, she backs off instead, which is a strange choice. Well, and I think this show feels like it's like, no, we're not going to resolve this is a common thing. It's like, no, we're not going to tell you what's uh, underneath Luther's clothes. Uh, We're not going to do that. We know something is off. We they're being very coy with a lot of the details. And I think that's fine to a point. But once there's too much coyness, it sort of makes it hard to like be be here, be invested. And uh, speaking of common uh, uh, themes and scenes, you we get a Fight Club situation in this. Very where, Fight Club. Uh, yeah, so we get uh, Five and uh, Klaus who go to the Eyeball Factory. And uh, I've just <laughs> got to say from personal experience, 
don't try to fight club your way out of stuff. It doesn't mm. go like it goes in the movies and the TV shows. Yeah, you've done that. You, you fight clubbed your way out of a bunch of stuff, right? Dates. Yeah. Parking it tickets. It was a go-to move of mine for a while. Like if I felt cornered or trapped, um, you know, a couple of times I would be, and be in job interviews and I try to fight club my way out of it and it does not work. You won't get a promotion and they won't give you the job if you try to do that. Yeah, we, were at Sub- we were at Subway and you fight clubbed your way out of the bill once. Yeah, well, that was the only time it worked. Yeah, the I I would say the worst time, the time it worked the least, was when you tried to Fight Club your way out of that Fight Club. That just oh yeah, that didn't pan yeah, out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that scene with Klaus and Five. It's so good. It's so much fun. I know I'm totally in the tag for Klaus, but just him going nuts, smashing stuff all over the place is great. The thing afterwards where it's revealed that he did it for twenty bucks is yeah. I, that was so funny. That's, that's such that's a little hysterical. amount, especially from Five, who was like, he's been to the future. He knows everything. He can have any amount of money available. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, also, so funny. I really liked how for the whole rest of the scene, like he had pieces of the snow globe in his forehead. It was really funny. That was very funny. And the last little detail we should probably touch on, another weird detail that's revealed. Uh, so dur- after the scene with Klaus, uh, Five uh, explains that he was actually with somebody for 30 years in the future. Yes. Uh, but he leaves in a taxi before Klaus is even finished, just leaves him totally hanging. Again, yeah, a really Irish goodbyes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we find out that that person was actually a mannequin that he reunites with at the end of the episode. Um, weird detail. Weird well, little surprise. Well, it's like a Wilson volleyball situation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if you're in the post deposit post-apocalyptic world. And we saw it with I Am Legend, like Will Smith, you know, talked to a bunch of mannequins. There's no shame uh, in being like, what are your favorite mannequins? Like, mm-hmm. what mannequin do you want to be? Pete, you in? were dating that mannequin for a couple of years and then you fight clubbed your way out of the situation. <laughs> yeah, right? that was not good. Because Pete, Her Pete you, mannequin dad got super pissed at me. You saw the movie Mannequin and were like, got it. And so you dated yeah. a mannequin, assuming it would eventually become real. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, I felt like, oh, I clearly haven't proven my dedication and love enough yet to for the magic to work. But, and of course, yeah. Mannequin 2 is called Mannequin 2 on the run, which ties nicely into the title of the episode, right. Run Boy Run. Yep. So yeah. it's all I right guess there. we're done with our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've completed our necessary tasks here. We brought the mannequin back around. I guess in the reason you ended up not working out with you in the mannequin is you asked uh, the mannequin dad for... Uh, her hand in marriage, and he just never got back to you. Uh, yeah, he never responded. He he tried to freeze me out. Nice. Now, I got to tell you, I forget <laughs> how we end these episodes. Do we do top marks or something like that? Probably. Probably. That's a great question. Um, you said this last episode, so I thought maybe you would have uh, figured it out, but I guess not. No, we did something in the first episode. I'm going to say, who got top marks from the okay. Umbrella Podcademy? With this episode, Justin, we'll go to you first. Uh, great, uh, great choice. Um, I got to give it up for five. It makes sense that uh, the episode was built around him, that I would choose him. Um, I think he gets to be fun, mysterious, uh, terrified when he's um, barely escaping with his life from the department store with his uh, true love mannequin under his arm. And also, like... He he feels everybody all of the Umbrella Academy feels like they've been abandoned in their life, but as we learn at the end of the episode, um, he sees so many of their dead bodies, um, 
and he almost feels betrayed by the fact that they died and left him there in this future. And I like the way that they play that. He's being like a petulant child when he's talking to Luther at the end. And you cut right from Luther to Luther's dead body holding the eye, which is the mystery of the episode. Yep. And I, I just thought that was such a good way that despite the fact that he seems like he knows so much about what's happening, he's just another scared kid trying to get by. Pete, what about you? Top marks? Uh, I'm going to go with Cha-Cha, uh, Mary J. Blige. Anytime you have like a show that has a lot of music uh, in it and then you get an amazing musician herself in the show that kind of ups the ante. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that the Cha-Cha-Hazel uh, duo is a fun one. And when you think a show can't get weird enough, they put these two in there. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, Klaus all day, every day, as wow. I always say, uh, just great across the board. Robert Sheehan's great. The scene, there's so much life in the scene where he's doing the fight club bit. Uh, it just perks me up in the middle of the episode, uh, when a lot of people are being moody, they're being sad. He comes in and just brightens everything up that's happening. And it's so much fun to watch. Every single time out of the gate, very of, in the tag for class. And of course, we have to give it up for our our the our top mark across the board, Mark Ruffalo, who's out there just doing it every day he can. <laughs> doing it right, <laughs> Mark Ruffalo, doing it right, and you're doing it right if you support us at Patreon.com/slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We'll chat with you about the Umbrella Academy. Uh, also, socially, you can follow us at Pod Academy. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. And that's it, everybody. Class dismissed. <laughs> Until next time, please stop vibrating your beds, and we'll see you soon. 